Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. I'm the executive producer, Colin Morgan, and today on the show, John is joined by Jason Cohen, who is the founder of both Smart Bear and WP Engine, both of which have achieved a valuation of more than $1 billion, making them unicorns in the vernacular of Silicon Valley. Now, this is our first installment in a series that we're going to refer to as Legends of the Deal, chronicling the life lessons of extraordinary achievers in the world of value building. Now, before we jump in, throughout this episode, John refers to a blog post that Jason wrote back in 2009. So I've linked up to that blog post, along with definitions for some of the more technical terms discussed in this episode, which you'll be able to find over at builttosell.com. Now, without further ado, hope you enjoy today's episode with Jason Cohen. Enjoy. Jason Cohen, welcome to Build Cell Radio. Thank you. You know, there's a little backstory I have to share with you to getting you on the show. So I, I listened to Tim Ferriss' podcast from time to time, and he had Cal Fussman on the show. Do you remember those episodes? These goes back maybe three or four years ago where Cal is this author and writer who has written, I, I can't remember if it's Esquire magazine, but he's written all these profiles of all these incredible people, Muhammad Ali and, and, and just incredible people. And Tim had him on the show to talk about interviewing. And after the show, uh, and after I listened to the episode, I reached out to Cal Fussman and said, I would love to hire you to, to, to help me as an interviewer. So he was kind enough to give me some tips. And one of the things he said is, you know, you talk to a lot of people who've just sold their company. Uh, usually there are sales that a lot of your audience can identify with. Uh, they're recent, but you know, that's really, really fresh. And a lot of guests can't really tell you all the details or kind of sit back in their armchair and kind of reflect a little bit on it. Cause it's still so fresh. Mm-hmm. You should launch Cal suggested Legends of the Deal, which would be like a separate <laughs> podcast of these like incredible deal makers, these you know, huge entrepreneurial stars, and and ask them to talk and reflect at a little higher level, not just about one of the deals they've made or you know one of the businesses they've started, but just kind of talk philosophically about business building. And you, my friend, are the first Legends of the Deal. Uh, we've had this idea kind of crackling around in the back of our uh, minds, and uh, and when I read, you know. Colin, our producer, was like, I think we can get Jason and reading all the stuff you've accomplished. We're, uh, we're thrilled to have you and, uh, and be our first legends of the deal. So with that, Jason, uh, you're up. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be giving a, a new, fresh perspective on stuff that's, that's going to be useful. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't have the cigars and the leather chairs and the scotch to kind of reflect on this life of entrepreneurship. But you know, you wrote a, a blog post that I want to start with. And for we'll put the blog post in the show notes so people can can find or link to it so people can find it. But it was entitled Rich versus King. And and I think a lot of our listeners are probably in the throes of, of figuring that out. And I just love for you to sort of tell me what that post was about and sort of how your thinking has evolved since you wrote it originally. Yeah, that was a phrase coined by Noam Wasserman, which I also say in the article, of course. And uh, I mean, it really is just an allusion to 
this question of do I want to run the company and therefore be in control of things? I'm the CEO probably. I have, there's a lot of ego tied up in that. It's fun to do. It's part of my identity. You know, what are you? You know, you do that. Um, there's that aspect. That's the king aspect. And you can excuse, excuse the gendered language. And then there's the rich part, which is sell the thing. Well, that's great that you get a lump of money. It's obviously you've, you've also jettisoned the risk, which is nice. Um, and then now you get to do what you really want to do, whatever that means. Of course, then you have problems like, wait, I don't know what that is. Or running the company was what I wanted to do. So what's, what is it now? What? Um, on the other hand, life is a book with chapters. Maybe it is time for the next chapter. There's also other things, which is not in the article, but in other articles that I have published on that site that we can certainly just, but I'm not, that's fine. Let's talk about them all now. I, there's no secrets there. Um, like, uh, um, what about when you're burned out and hate the company that you that you created in order to have a place that you love? And is there a, is there a catch twenty two there of like, well, I I don't actually enjoy coming to work, and also selling feels like I'm losing my identity. And now, what the hell does that mean? Because this whole entrepreneurial journey was not supposed to end like that. And so that's a crux that's that's uh, very real and really common. In fact, it might even be the most common. I mean, you, I, I cannot tell you how many people who have companies they've run for five or 10 years and that's how they feel. I feel like the, the best case is I, well, the best case is you're happy, but in the case you're not happy, maybe you're not burned out. Maybe you just feel stuck or it's boring, but like, it doesn't make sense for the company to do something else. Um, you feel like you can't leave though, or maybe you can, maybe, maybe the company is so automated, or at least you have people that you trust so much. You don't have much of a role and that's not fulfilling. I mean, you didn't start a company because you wanted to be bored or not do stuff. So what does that mean? So what it ends up meaning, and I know I'm just kind of going off the, maybe even going off the question a little, but I think this is, this is a crux that many people run into, of course, me included, of course, but, you know, and I've also, um, over the years, uh, um, because uh, that post you're alluding to, that's already 15 years old. So there's a lot of time. So I've helped other entrepreneurs through this, or at least, uh, let's say, commiserated with them. Helped is a big word. Sometimes help. Um, and it, it's, again, it's super common. And, and you just, like, things change. Like the like the Buddha says, things change, right? And, and often not what you want. And then what? And is there a way, like, is there a way to not do that? Or is actually that natural and it's okay? It's not necessarily a problem. It's just that time. It's that season. It's time to ch close that chapter in some way that hopefully gets you some money and makes the employees happy and, of course, the customers. So there, there could be different, uh, you know, d different kinds of positive ways to look at it. Um, and and then then what is the next chapter? And often that gap is a problem. Sometimes people don't find the next chapter. I have a lot of information about that, too. Happy to share right now. So um, but this whole thing. And, you know, it's very hard for entrepreneurs to talk to anyone else about it because boo-hoo, you have a company that does millions in revenue and you can probably sell it for millions or tens of millions or whatever. Numbers that almost no one ever will see, maybe even in their lifetime earnings, much less in a lump or a month, um, which which listeners to this have. So, oh, boo-hoo, you're not happy. Oh, boo-hoo, you, you sold your company for, you know, X tens of millions of dollars, and now you're bored, and you don't know what to do, and you, you lost your identity. Wah. And, of course, there's a, there's a point to that, which is, yes, that's right. Like, uh, yes, you're in the top whatever percent of the world in terms of being safe and stable, 
providing for your family, yourself, etc. And you deserve it. And that's good. But human beings also deserve to be happy whether they have money or not. And it is a real, very real existential personal crisis of what that is. And, and so you, if you can't go whining to anyone else about it, who do you go whine to? The answer is podcasts like this, people like you and me and other peers. Who else is going to not only uh, you know, care, but also get it? Like, I know I was there and I, you know, I was depressed for a while. So, so talk to me about your first kind of, you've had other businesses prior to Smart Bear, but Smart Bear was the one a lot of people know you for first, uh, you know, also the name mm -hmm. of, of the, the blog. Um, how did you come to the decision to sell Smart Bear? Because I think you are describing, as I understand it, yourself, uh, you know, multi-million dollar company, software business growing quickly. I, I read somewhere doubling year over year. I mean, this is a, this is a juggernaut. A lot of people, and, mm. and obviously a young man at the time, yeah. uh, why sell? What, what was your calculus? Yeah. So I, I told every employee who joined that our goal is to sell someday. So from the beginning, the idea was not that I wanted to run this for the rest of my life, but that. I like starting things. I like making things and I want to make some money. I mean, it's just as mercenary as that. Not that I didn't care about customers. I care a lot. So did everyone there. Um, so that's not it. It's not in, at the expense of customers or something like that, but simply being really honest about what I wanted. And I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, again, it's maybe gauche to say that you want to be rich, but you started the company for a reason, and that's probably one of them. It may be the number one reason. If it's not number one, though, because number one might be that you hate having a boss so much that you'd rather make less money on your own, which, again, I feel like probably most of us would say yes to that. Maybe 100% of us say yes to that. Like, I just can't abide the other thing. And so whatever happens next is better than that, right? Um, but surely, surely making money is part of it uh, for most people. Um, but I think some people would argue, I think Jim Collins is is, is famous for, uh, you're talking about a company needs a purpose much larger than money. No, and don't. I think people have read the books Jim Collins has uh, written and and kind of drunk the Kool-Aid, right? And and sort of said, oh, we've got to have values and purpose and 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 we're not here to make money, we're here to save the world. And, and, and they almost, it's almost a religiosity. It's, I can't think of a better word well, for saying, it. it. You're saying a lot of things there. So first of all, like clearly <laughs> companies don't need a purpose because most of them don't have one. Right. Most of them don't have one. I mean, the ones that are successful. So mm -hmm. it's clearly not true that they need one. Is it better if you have one? Yes. Because mm -hmm. it's nice to have a purpose that's, that, that isn't just mercenary. It's nice that people want to be here and are motivated by other reasons. It's nice to do good in the world. It's nice to leave the world in a better place than you found it, et cetera. It is good. <laughs> like, it's good. But the idea that you have to have it is clearly not true. But um, for you, Jason, was it like, was it kind of ticking a box? Like, if the primary motivation is, look, I, like, I'm not ashamed of saying, and I want to make some money. If that was the right. primary motivation, was this just like, oh, yeah, okay, we got to have a purpose because I can't, my, no, my I didn't hourly have worker. I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have one. You didn't have one? No. Our purpose was to make really good code review software, which is not a purpose in in that sense that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, our, no, our, we wanted to make good software. We cared about our customers. So another thing you said is, uh, oh, we don't, we'll just have these values. I do believe in values and culture. Every company has a culture. The question is, did you design it? Did you decide what it is? 
Is it getting stronger and more in that direction or not? That is not the same thing as having some higher purpose that's not money. Totally different. Every organization, a sports team, a, a, a church a congregation, you know, a company, every organization does have a culture. There's things that they value more than other things. There's norms that are accepted or rejected. The question is, did you decide what it is? So that you're designing your team, your hires, what you what you reward and what you say isn't acceptable, even in the face of losing money, even in the face of other consequences, like other people having to do work or brand being hurt, like these kinds of really t- tough things where you would pick this value over those very clear negative things. That's what your values are. It's very important to do that. Um, but that's different than saying I have a higher purpose. They're they're. You can have one and not the other easily. And again, many do. So, um, so yeah, you need to, you need to decide what is important, but it doesn't have to be a higher purpose. That doesn't have to be what's important. Well said. So let's get into your decision to sell smart. Yeah. So, so, so the decision there was uh, first of all, always wanted to eventually, I mean, wasn't looking to in any given day, but that was, so if that's the goal, then when, when, uh, when an offer comes and it's good, but we had another offer that earlier wasn't good. So I didn't consider it. Right. It's not like I don't value the company. Right. But when an offer comes in, it's like, wow, that's actually a, a good revenue multiple. Uh, and it's easy and it's all cash, blah, blah, blah. Like it's all this stuff. that's like, okay, these are terms that are good, blah, blah, blah. There's no performance based second bite, you know, like it's just what it is. Um, they can do it fast, which they did. We did the from like first email to close in four months, which is pretty good. That's um, amazing. We closed on December 20th, by the way, which proves that when people say no deals are done in December, that's false. In fact, that closed on December 20th and our $250 million round at WP Engine closed at the end of December also. And there's several other things like that uh, I've experienced in December. So the whole like, no, no, no deals are done at the end of the year. Not true. Um, in fact, it can be motivating because people want to get the hell out of there and go with their families. And so it's like, why don't you just sign it then? You know, <laughs> why don't the lawyers stop throwing the red lines back and forth and just sign the damn thing? So maybe it's a motivator. Anyway, um, I mean, they have they don't begin then though. They have to have begun earlier and then end in December. I do agree they don't begin in December. You don't begin that trek on December the twelfth, right? So that's fair enough. Anyway. Um, yeah, so so that was the that was the idea. So I was going to at least entertain any good offer because that was the idea. But the other reason was the following. So I had um, I had the first in person meeting um, with the with Insight Partners. The the I guess you call them a VC or PE. I think they're more like a PE. But anyway, um, with the with the uh, partner there in Austin, and I came home. And I told my wife, well, you know, I got this offer and it's pretty good. I don't know what to do. Cause again, like if it was a bad offer, it'd be easy, but if it's a good offer, then you don't know what to do a lot of times. Um, and she says, well, you have to sell. I was like, well, what do you mean? I have to. And she says, well, don't you understand how unhappy you are? Oh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but now that you mention it, right. And you start thinking about like, oh, yeah, like I'm always in a bad mood and things are this and that. And even when things are going well, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff that's kind of classic burnout and classic, uh, I don't know, other things. And so you realize like, oh, this is actually an unhealthy situation, which again is one of those weird things to confront 
that you built this thing, you supposedly built it however you want, and yet you built yourself into this bad place. Now, you could argue, I would argue with, with okay, so see, here's, here's me with uh, lots of years uh, in retrospect and helping others. There are many more options than I think we realize. So at the moment, it was just like, oh, I can sell and get out of this where I'm not unhappy and the company continues, the customers will therefore be happy. The employees will all get money because everybody had was going to eat. So that's great. Every, so, you know, took care. So everyone's taken care of in that sense. Um, and so it's all perfect. Right. And so um, and it was good. It was a good idea. And it, I'm glad I did it. But I'm not glad it's one of those like you can't judge the decision based on the outcome. Um, you can't judge whether your poker decision was good based on the outcome because there's luck also. So the outcome was good, but that doesn't mean the decision was made correctly. The decision should have been, what are all the choices I have given that there's an interesting offer on the table? And also I've burned out and I don't deserve to be burned out because no one does. I don't deserve to be in a place that I'm not happy. No one deserves that. And the employees don't want to sell, which they didn't. Now, those are all facts. Uh, there, there's probably not an equate, not a solution that makes everybody happy. That's okay. Now, what are the options? One is sell. What are the other options? Oh, I didn't think of the other options other than just stay and be sad. So that's not good. There are many other what options. Are the, what were the other options, as you now know in retrospect? Yeah, oh, there's tons. Um, the, the most obvious ones are you could take on some money but not sell the whole company. You could yeah, – but but the, but one that's, that's sometimes the best, and I can give another example of this, is um, – if the employees really want to run it and probably can if they because they've been there a while and they're competent, you know, you could take a role where you take a step back, you work part time, you're not a CEO anymore, you're something else. Um, you allocate more of the stock, of course, of course, vested vesting, but you vest other people in so that if they do step up and they're the CEO, they're the CTO, they're this, they're that, and they really do, you know, drive the company forward, then they can make more money. And of course, in that scenario, the company's bigger and more awesome. And so even your now more diluted share is actually worth a whole lot more in absolute dollars, which is the only thing that matters. The percentage of the company is not important. The dollars are what's <laughs> important. So how, how much better is it if it's a bigger, more valuable company and everyone's eating more, including you? Like, isn't that better? So that's a, that's a really obvious one. So that's one that happened to someone I know actually kind of near the same time, now that I think of it, um, with a consulting company here in town called Bluefish Group. And the founder there had been running it for 12 years, didn't want to work on that anymore. Uh, handed over to the CTO and did what I just said. He took like a small stipend. So like he still owns the company also, but also took the stipend, even though he wasn't working there. That's like part of the deal, right? Um, but the CTO had all these incentives and everything, who, who then became the CEO effectively. And the company doubled the next year and it had been growing at like 5% per year. Hmm. And so the founder's, uh, res the founder's uh, like response to that is, oh my God, I should have left sooner. <laughs> like I was holding it back. I was holding it back. And what's funny is as a founder, we cannot believe that we're holding the company back because we're the smartest and the best and it's our company. So how could anyone else be smarter than us? And you might be right. And in fact, most people in the world are not smarter than you running your company. So you're mostly correct. But if you have superstars at the company and they're hungry and they want, they're like, put me in coach. I really want to pour myself into this. And there's no opportunity for them to because you're there. Well, that could actually be really powerful. So maybe not. You know, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to go well, <laughs> but it can go well. I've seen it go well. So that was an option I didn't consider. For example, um, 
so um, but taking on some financing in order to give some some space is an option another thing is our business model was one-time revenue we sold and that was it i would come back and try to get 20 percent per year support contracts now people our age are like yeah that's how software was like forever so you're not surprised um nowadays though you look back and say oh yeah, one-time revenue is really scary. If we had just switched to a recurring revenue model, I probably wouldn't have been so upset and scared every month as the as the revenue goes back to zero and you start over. Like SaaS is so much more, or, or anything that's recurring, is just so much more, of course, predictable. And so is your stress level down? So is the business model actually causing stress? Another thing is, uh, another option I could have had is some kind of counseling, therapy, coaching, now again, with founders, we don't like that because because the, the the therapist is an idiot and, and doesn't understand anything, and so is the coach, especially a life coach. What the hell does that mean anyway? And again, we're usually right, but there's such a thing as someone who's like that that is in fact really good. Like you can't tell me Jerry Colonna is not an incredible asset to anyone he works with. So the the, the question isn't do they exist? They do. The question is can you find one? And maybe you deserve to find one. Maybe you'll have to go through some before you find one. And that's a that's a time investment. So all that is true. But if you're unhappy and you don't want to sell or can't sell, then maybe you should make that time investment to find the person that's not an idiot that can help you. And you can see why that person could exist because like, what is, Fe- what is Federer's tennis coach like? As good as ten- at tennis as Federer? <laughs> no. <laughs> Even close? <laughs> No, probably not terrible, but like not even close. Right. So how come he has a coach? Because someone else, because coach is not, the role of coach is not the role of individual tennis player. It's a person who holds up a mirror so that you can see what you need to see. A person who has some insight into things um, for, yes, for life experience and other things. It's not the same thing. So can't that person exist uh, even though they you know are not currently running a company or something like that? Yes, of course. But they're few and far between. That's also true. So, okay. So that's another option I didn't even consider. So there's probably even more, but I think I listed four or five right there. Yeah. And so if I if I unpack this where you're self-critical or, or at least in reflection 13 years later, whatever it was, is I made the decision. I thought it was binary, black or white. I sell or I, you know, I'm miserable. I, there's, there's nothing in, in the middle, but actually there was a range of options that you didn't yeah. really think about at the time. There was yeah. one that... There's one other sort of thing I wanted to explore on this, and you referenced it in in the Richard King um, post, which is the freedom line and and how that impacts a founder's decision making. Can you walk through your thinking there? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the simple version is um, different levels of wealth mean different things. Wealth is not linear. It's not like every time I 2x your, my net worth. I just feel better or, you know, something changes in the same way. That is not true. And this is, this is known from maybe at least 350, 400 years ago, right? Like uh, back when they were inventing probability um, and the St. Peter's paradox, the solution of the St. Peter's paradox was that people don't value money linearly. And the the estimate there was logarithmically, meaning you have to add another zero, let's just say, for it to make a difference in how you see it, what your life is like. And even then I would argue, and this is the freedom line, even then I would argue there's some line and it can be different for different people. I'm not trying to be you know, prescriptive, but there's some line beyond which even adding another zero doesn't really change whether you're happy. It, change, it can change your lifestyle, 
you may not even want to change your lifestyle that way. Um, I remember like after that happened, uh, like nothing happened. Like we didn't get a new house. We didn't get a new car. And then with WP Engine, the company that I'm now at, it's now almost 14 years old. And WP Engine is, is many more zeros, more quote unquote successful from financially than Smart Bear. So even just in the secondary rounds that have happened at WP Engine, I've made orders of magnitude more money than selling Smart Bear. And yet I still have stock and I'm still there. And, you know, it, it's a much bigger company. So describe Jason, what you mean by secondary. So people understand. Oh, that means when you, when you sell some of your stock to another investor. So one way is you can issue new stock to an investor and that dilutes everybody because now there's more shares. So you, you own a smaller percentage of the whole, but the idea is that each individual unit's more. So you own less of the pizza, but the pizza is much bigger. So it's more pizza. Um, but secondary means you actually sell some of your pizza. So they just get, you don't make the pizza pie bigger. You just sell some of your pizza. You just take some money off the table, one might say. Um, if that happens too much, you might get people who are disengaged. But that's okay. Maybe maybe it's time. On the other hand, on the positive side, it can mean they take more risks. Now that I've taken money off the table, now if the company went to zero, I would still feel like it's a success. Therefore, I'll take bigger risks than I would have when I was nervous that maybe after all this work, I'll still get zero. That's the positive case. So it can go both ways. So it's a controversial thing of like, is it a good idea and for whom and why? And all these things do happen in real life. Um, both those cases happen a lot. Um, in any case, so I've been able to take some money off the table that way. Um, and even so, like I, my car's nine years old. I do need a new car actually, <laughs> but it's nine years old. Like I didn't, obviously I'm running out and, you know, and that's just my personality. Other people, they do want to do that. So it's very personal, like what it is you want to do with money and what it means to you. Um, for me personally, I, there's kind of a line, which of course it's nice, but it just doesn't change stuff. So I just start thinking, well, you know, what else would I do with that? Cause it's not just spending it on stuff at some point. Um, so, so another way of saying it again is if you don't have enough money, then you got problems, you have worries, maybe you fight with your spouse also. Um, you know, and so forth, when you have sufficient money, there's a lot of those kinds of problems that go away. You know, you don't have debt for anything. You're not struggling. If you're not struggling with that, then it doesn't matter when the spouse or you does this or that, you don't care as much. Of course you can go overboard anyway, but you know, perhaps it's, perhaps it's not a cause of strife perhaps. Um, and, uh, you know, you can have a car that works in a house that's comfortable, you know, you can have maybe clothes that you like and so forth. So there's this line where that's the case. And so if someone offers you enough money where you get past that line, that feels a lot more um, interesting to me anyway, of like, yeah, I think that might be a good idea to just go ahead and get over that line because that changes life so much permanently. And of course, but, but what if the company's already throwing off a million dollars a year in profit? And so you're kind of past that line anyway. So I'd say, yes, exactly. But the line is still the right metaphor. It's just that you're saying since you're past it anyway, comma, selling the company isn't your route to that. You already are there. Right. Okay. So then that means it's not a factor in selling. Um, good. That probably opens more options for what's possible because, for example, you could do the thing where the employees run it. Uh, and maybe maybe you're more willing to do that because having already got past the line, you can entertain more kinds of ideas other than selling. On the other hand, at the time I didn't, I wasn't past the line and smart Bear wasn't getting, wasn't, you know, maybe it would happen, but anyway. And so even considering that at the time, I probably wouldn't have done it. Although it's very unfair to my former self to guess what I would have thought. 
but I probably wouldn't just because I wasn't past that line yet. So here I am having been, you know, six years in gotten to this point, I can get over the line right now. Let's just roll the dice with a totally different model. And it could go to zero. Oh man. Like, I don't know about that. Right. So I, I still think this idea of where the line is, is useful. Um, you also have to consider the line as real money in the bank. So you have to gross up taxes and stuff like that. Um, and you should be careful. A lot of people think, for example, that $5 million in the bank in America means you don't have to work again. False. Not just because of the taxes th there, but, you know, when you look at the risk-free rate or, or you know, um, risk-free rate versus um, inflation, uh, you need a lot more than you think to do that, especially... I mean, you could have a very sparse lifestyle like you had when you were 21. But if you meant you didn't want to work again and not live like you're 21, it's a lot more than you think. So I think people have to get a little more um, when they figure out where that line is. You have to get a little bit more um, realistic about what that means. And I have seen people sell their business for, you know, one to five to maybe even ten million dollars thinking that would be the line. And of course, again, in any normal sort of human being looking at that, they'd say, you're telling me $5 million isn't good. You know, of course it is good, but it actually isn't that thing where you never work in. It is like a different lifestyle and you can be comfortable. You can take some more risks on that next company, but if the next company doesn't work, yeah, you might have to get a job. So are you sure that's enough? So you have to be a little careful about the math. And what's your, you know, what's your experience there around figuring out the math? Like uh, I, can, I can hear a lot of people saying, what do you mean you can't live comfortably for the rest of your life on $5 yeah. million? That sounds absurd. That's right. What's, what's your thinking? What's the math? Can you go further there. Um, again, it's very personal what it is that you, that you think. But I mean, one way to look at it is this. If you did get a job at your current, you know, with, with what you're capable of, of making, which is a lot, because whatever your sort of specialty is, you now have this experience that's way ahead of that. So, you, you know, is it a VP or, or a CTO or something? I don't mean at a larger company, right? Sure. Um, what, it, what would it be exactly? Um, so if you run 10 people, for example, a 10-person organization as a founder, like to me, that's more much more interesting than being a, a manager at a bigger company, right? But to be fair, like at a bigger company, 10 people is, is just a team. <laughs> like that's... A director would have dozens of people like you're not even at a director level in terms of management. Now, of course, in terms of other experience and, and, and strategy and stuff, it's much more. But P.S., that's part of why you shouldn't go get a job at a big company because they say, well, that's not. And, and of course, who cares? They just don't value you correctly. Right. But to be fair, they can't because whatever you're doing now, like that's not helpful for them. <laughs> they don't need that. You know, anyway. So the point is like, you could say, all right, I, I should be making 200 K let's say at a bigger company because whatever. Um, okay. Then surely you wouldn't want to sell your company and make less than 200 K a year. Like make less than just having a job. That doesn't seem like it makes any sense. Uh, regardless of your lifestyle, that just doesn't seem financially logical to make now 200 K is before taxes. Okay, fine. So let's, let's forget taxes. So to get 200 K a year, like, Right now you can get 5%, but interest rates are fairly high. I know they were higher in the eighties, et cetera, but like just lately this kind of high, um, and inflation also went up as that went up. So what's the Delta? I don't know. So let's just say that you need to be making, I mean, you certainly can't make 10% a year. I'm trying to think with inflation. So like if you even make, 
5% after inflation, that that's actually kind of unbelievable. I don't think that exists. That's that's relatively fixed rate. I don't I don't believe you that that exists. Mm-hmm. It's more like two or three with inflation. So you have to gross up two, you have to divide um, 200,000 by 0.02. So right away you're at 10 million easy. Easy. Um but probably more and that doesn't include the fact that money gets less valuable over time. Inflation exists, so you have to stay ahead of that to pack it on. So you probably need 15 million. That and, and that's that's probably still undercounting. I would guess 20 is right. How did you how did your thinking about the freedom line evolve since you've written the blog posts? You you're still a relatively young guy, but this was still 13 years ago. So I'm assuming life has happened kids and spouse, you know, yeah. lots of stuff, water under the bridge. How has it evolved or has it evolved since you first wrote it? I, I think that basic notion of um, what the money means to you right now and how that's relative to what's going on is still right. Again, all these other options, that's very different. Again, I didn't have that at the, I didn't have that in mind at the time. And so the sale happened in 2007 and I wrote that in 2009. And even in 2009, I wasn't thinking about those options, right? So that, that has definitely changed. Um, again, it's hard to separate the outcome from the decision. I'm saying the decision was only okay. Like it was fine. It wasn't, wasn't in, in fact, one thing I did that I, I do think is a good idea. I didn't put in the article is I, I wanted advice. And so I got index cards and I called everyone I could find, uh, to help and ask them who else I should talk to and all that sort of stuff. And everyone I talked to, I'd make an index card of stuff that they said, cause I was going to forget. And, uh, so I had like 17 of these, you know, over time. And some people help more intensely and, and continuously during the sale, which I recommend getting that. Um, and uh, others, it was just most of them was one time, of course. That was a good idea. There was a lot of different perspectives around, is this a good idea or not? What happens? And so for every person that was like, oh my gosh, uh, you should never sell. Like this is worth more. And I knew this other deal where this multiple happened. And for every one of those, there was... Man, when this kind of thing comes by, you take it. Like, you know, this other thing happened where the deal fell through and this and that because the sponsor, you know, left the company or the economy did this or the, the you know, they had a, a quarterly call with Wall Street and this happened and, you know, like all the stories. So you should take it. So it was, you know, it's just true that there's high variance in these things and usually they don't get done. That's all true. So. As you know that, that like it's actually, it's not quite clear that that changes your mind because like, yeah. So again, I think it comes back still to the same thing, which is, um, do you really want to be here? What are your options? Um, and I do think that freedom line is useful to say like, wait, does this, would a sale dramatically change my life as opposed to just more money? Because the answer is no or yes, that might, that might color your decision quite a bit. Yeah. Very well said. And 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 you're right. I, I really appreciated the idea that, you know, from going from nothing to something, it, there's a huge uptick in lifestyle. Equally, if you've already passed the freedom line, your decision making might be totally different because it doesn't get you a material left in lifestyle. And so there's got to be some other exactly. sort of rationale or thinking. Yeah. It's a really you, thoughtful. You can get caught up. You can get caught up in the money for obvious reasons. It's not like that's a big fallacy or something. Yeah. But the truth is, if you think of money as a log curve or even binary like that, then it changes the calculus of what that what does that mean exactly. Um, 
I think uh, you sold in 2007. You sold yeah. Smart Bear in 2007, right? Uh, which, of course, we all know what happened in 2008. Describe yeah. the box game. That's a that's a fun thing for I think our listeners to understand. Yeah. So the idea is, um, I'm trying to think. I, I don't know which one was in uh, what exact parameters I put in that post, but but uh, and there's many forms of this. But um, in one box, there's five million dollars. Cool. In the other box, there's either zero. Or $10 million. 50 50. I'm telling you, it's a 50 50. And so you can't, you obviously can't see inside the boxes, but, but I'm telling you, box A is the one with five, box B is the one where it's a 50 50. Which box do you want? And you only get to pick once. Now, this, there's several things that this does, which I find interesting. The first one is there's people who are just immediately like, oh, box A, which is kind of what I was doing, right? I was saying, like, take the bird in the hand. It could be more or less. Obviously, I'm simplifying them more or less because in real life, obviously, it's not zero or double. Um, you know, but the point of the game is to simplify the, the complex decision. Um, and there's people who will always want to roll the dice. They're like, you only live once, blah, blah, blah. All right. Okay. Now, what's interesting about that, the probabilities there is when you use what economists call expected value, they're the same. Because one's $5 million, the other one's worth zero or 10 equal proportion. So the quote unquote expected value or weighted average is 5 million. What this does is show you that the concept of the weighted average or the concept of expected value is useless. And you should not think about that. And economists are incorrect that anyone makes decisions based on that wrong, because according to that, these are identical scenarios. They are not identical at all. And when you're faced with it in real life, it is a decision. It's not like, I don't care. They're the same to me. No one says that. <laughs> it's, you know, either you know what you want or you can't decide, but no one thinks they're identical. <laughs> so the economists are wrong. Do not use that. Um, to use technical terms, uh, it's non-ergotic. And economists think that every, or act like everything's ergotic, which, which, which this is a good example of. It kind of it means, that's um, a way of saying, if, if you were to run this experiment a million times, this, these would be the outcomes, but in real life, you're not running it a million times. So is running it once the same as running it millions of times is the same kind of outcomes happen. In this case, the answer is no, because in this case, there's a scenario where you get zero. If you run it a million times and you take the average, it'll, you'll, it'll never be zero. It'll be about five. <laughs> so it, it is true that if you, if you were run this millions of times and you get the group average as your result, it is, they are the same. You don't, you really don't care. And in real you, life, that's not true. And so real life is not like that. Real life is not true that the, 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 the group average or the, if you were to run it many times, average is not the same thing as doing it once. And most things in life you do once you make your company once you sell your company once, et cetera. So it's not like that at all. Another really funny example, just on the little tangent is uh, Russian roulette. <laughs> if you keep pulling the trigger, <laughs> if you play that game lots of times, I can tell you the outcome and it's not the, it's not one out of six. <laughs> it's 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 complete death right so you know when things are like russian roulette like you can't use that okay so um it, i think it's useful to say that though because when people are like because these are the kinds of things you think or people tell you to think well how will the company grow over the next three years you think it'll grow what's the chance it'll grow or be more valuable what's the chance the economy will be such that you'll get more offers to sell what's the chance that the economy is stagnant or lower 
because of an overhang of blah, 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 and, and, and you won't. What are those probabilities? Of course, nobody knows, but you can try to, sometimes you try to guess and do these like scenario planning, right? Try to put little weights on them. Besides the fact that the weights are invented and probably bullshit already, still like we're back to the ergodic problem. But that's, it's not going to be the group average of all that. One thing is going to happen and it could be bad. Are you sure you want to do that? So let's change the box problem again. 5 million in box A. Box B has zero or 50 million. Still 50-50 though. Well, depends on where your freedom line is. Because if my if I haven't made that much money yet, the idea of getting to five in the bank, or you call ten, whatever you'd like to, you know, set some line, it, it could be that there's no number in that box B that I would take. None. It could be zero to a billion. I still wouldn't take it because I'd rather have like that freedom line amount of money in the bank than zero. Could be. I mean, look, everyone's different. Again, the point of the box is for you to find out what you want to do, what you, how you want to think about risk and reward, right? It's not like there is one right answer. It's for you to do that because then it makes you, it helps you make the decision. Oh, I want, it turns out I need, I want to do the safe thing, the sure thing. Oh, okay. Well then do the sure thing. No, it turns out I'm actually okay with the current situation. So I want to roll that zero to whatever. I want to roll that die because actually I'm fine with the current. I want to take on that risk. Oh, great. Look, we figured that out. So the point of the box game is to try to figure out where your head is at in terms of risk and reward. You can also, of course, play with numbers, make them more realistic for your situation. It's just a simplification to find out what you think by, by eliminating all this other real but complicating factors. I want to shift gears a little bit. You got some blowback from some people when you decided to sell Smart Bear. Maybe describe what that was like. Well, everyone has an opinion when you do anything like that. <laughs> um, there are people like the ones for 37 Signals that think if you don't, um, if you don't run the business yourself and, and, and never raise money and never sell, then, then you're, I don't know, like, I don't know if you're a bad person, maybe. I, don't, I wouldn't say unethical, but you're a disappointment. You're a disappointment to we, the, the bootstrappers. Maybe you're a sellout. Maybe you're weak. Maybe this happened know. to you. You got this this vitriol well, at you, know, you personally. I find that uh, it's very rare to find that from people who have done it or are in the thick of it. Because they're like, if you're in the thick of it, you're like, man, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> who, who am I to judge? And if you've gone through it, you've certainly struggled with these kinds of questions. And you know it's hard to decide. And you know all the choices are hard. <laughs> And it's completely unclear what the right decision is, quote unquote. And then you made a decision and something happened and you still don't know necessarily after the fact. It's, it might be one of those things where even after the fact, you don't know if it was right. What would have happened? No one knows. So having gone through that and thought about that, you see someone else going through it and you're like, God bless, like whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever. I hope it worked out well for you. I hope that you're happy after that. You probably aren't just because all the choices are, are tough, but like, Whatever I'm, I'm, I support you and or I'm certainly not against you. Like, what, you know, what are you going to do? And, um, so I find like a lot of people are like that. And so it's, sometimes it's the folks who aren't in the game who have the opinion. Of course, then you have to whip out your little in, you know, in the arena quote to <laughs> calm yourself a little bit about what do they know? They're, they haven't struggled with it, but no, yeah, no matter what you do, people have opinions. It's very hard to ignore them because, and also for every 20 people that say something nice, the one person is like, meh, 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 then that's the person that sticks in your head because it's, uh, 
it's because once again, it's not an, a, an economic equation that <laughs> nets out to 19 positive, you know, out of the 20 minus n minus one. That's not how it goes emotionally, as we all know. I don't, what I don't was have the, any magical answers to that other than trying to name it and, and notice it. And sometimes that helps uh, diffuse it a little, but I mean, that's just how it goes. Reading the, the, the post, you mentioned there were a couple of, I think, customers or associates that sort of were like, oh, you sell out or whatever, but 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 people who've gone through it and experienced it are are not likely to feel that way. How did your employees react to your decision to sell Smart Bear? Let's start there. They didn't like it. They didn't want to sell. <laughs> it's just that simple. Even though that was the stated goal. So what, I, I knew I didn't lie to anybody or, or hide or, you know, that's for sure. That, and, and no one thought that. It's just they didn't want to do it. Um, they were having fun and um, not having to think about payroll. <laughs> right? Like everyone on this call understands what I'm saying. Um, it's part of why it's lonely. It's lonely for any CEO. It's also lonely as a founder, et cetera. And that's, you know, sometimes you feel that more. Did you explain it to them? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like. It was one of those, um, oh, it's one of those, we totally get it. We just don't want to do it. <laughs> right? Got it. It wasn't like it was un, ununderstandable or anything like that. Was there resentment? Um, I think some people, yes. And some people were like, I, I mean, I don't want to, but I get it. And then other people, yeah, were like, no, this is the wrong thing to do. No, I guess I meant resentment in the wealth that you created for yourself personally. Like, no, no, you know, no, 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 no. Uh, especially because I, I, I'm really, I was generous with other people. So no, there was none of that. I know a lot of people aren't, by the way, like I've, I've, I've kind of shocked actually at some other people where I've helped them through it. And when it gets to the cap table, which often isn't one, it's just like, oh, I have all the stock. And I'm like, oh, okay. But you have some way to take care of people, right? No. And it's like, wow. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's your prerogative. You can do whatever you want. Um, I just think that probably the other people here contributed somewhat to the success of the company. And like, I'm not saying you shouldn't have most of it, da, 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 but like nothing <laughs> that seems like a small number. What do you think the right <laughs> um, number, what do you think the right appropriate proportion oh, I of an know, exit it depends is to on share? What's going on. There's people where there's, I mean, uh, yeah, there's people where employee one is so critical. You could, okay. They weren't a co-founder, but I mean, close. And so they shouldn't, it doesn't mean they need to have close to the same equity, but like, should they have a third of it or fourth versus what you have? You maybe, you know, not 2%, you know, or zero. <laughs> um, there's people who can join late but, that but are incredibly valuable too. My question is a little bit less technical and more philosophical. So obviously if you have found like co-founders or key mm -hmm. employees where you've, you've given them options as a way to either attract them or retain them, that's one thing. But my question is more, let's say you've paid all of your team a market rate salary for years. You've given them benefits. You've done all the, the quote unquote things. You haven't enticed them saying, I'm going to give you a piece of this when I sell. You haven't done yeah. any of that stuff. You've just literally paid them a market rate. You don't quote legally owe them anything. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing you say though, is that there is a moral obligation, even though there's nothing Legally, that you no, are. no. I'm not, moral. Moral. I'm, I'm not. I'm not judging people on, on being unethical or immoral by doing that. I'm not. Okay. It's just not my style. It's not. I, I believe. I just believe in more remuneration for other people than that. But I don't think it's immoral. And like you said, I mean, 
you gave them the salary. They said, yes. I mean, the, you know, that's that. Like, the, you know, so, um, no, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that I'm not going that far. I just, just personal style is, I believe that, um, there's probably other people who are contributing more than their salaries worth of impact. And so why wouldn't they deserve to join in? And it doesn't have to be an excessive huge amount where you barely get anything. No, not that, but like zero. I don't know about that. So when you say like, they haven't been promised anything. So now what? Well, right. I'm just saying you should promise something. That's all like, like, and, but how and where, what's fair. I don't know. You should decide that. Of course, it could be completely ad hoc, although that you probably open yourself up to lawsuits. If you do that, um, it could be, it could be something more equitable than that, or it could be nothing. If you do nothing and then, and then uh, give people money after the fact, a lawyer will tell you not to do that, that you, you open yourself up to lawsuits. I know one person where this happened where uh, the company was sold. They wanted to say thank you. There was a vendor and, and, and it was kind of like a, like a consultant type vendor. And they wanted to say thank you to the consultant for helping. It wasn't even helping with the sale. It was helping with the product. And they were like, you know, we just sold the company and, you know, mails money. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we just always had a great relationship. And I just wanted to just share a little bit. And they sent him a check for $20,000. And that vendor sued them saying they were they deserve more and that the fact that they wrote him a check at all showed that the owner felt like they des- they des- they deserve some more money than the contract and so now now we should debate how much <laughs> as opposed to just saying wow thanks that's a great windfall thanks for being wow. nice even though it was an arm's length contract you know like there was nothing so that's why a lawyer will tell you don't don't just randomly do that um to anyone you have a professional rate. So that's why I kind of, again, get back to like, if you think that some people maybe deserve something, then then just set up that system so that it's not. Options <laughs> or yeah. Um, yeah. Again, you don't have to, you could also, you doesn't have to be options. Options are complicated. You have to get 409As. There's all kinds of stuff around options. As a larger company, you need, you just should because, uh, well, again, it's easier legally. But at SmartBear, I didn't have options. I had a different system. That still meant when we sold the company, people got money. Um, the fact is you can just give people money and you can just make up uh, the system, which I did. I have lots of, mm. I've seen a lot of interesting systems for that. You can do the usual sort of, they vest and they kind of act like options, which is roughly what I did. Um, but there's other cool systems. Like you can, here's, here's a fun one. You set aside a pool for this. So like this is for employees. So as the founder, you still get 80% or I don't know, whatever you want. But employees get a chunk, whatever, because that probably makes sense. And then what you do is allocate units out of there. And there's a system which I never got to implement, but several people like considered, and I think some people tried it, which was the following. Everyone that's there gets a unit. So you issue a new unit of this pool. So the number of units increases over time. Um, Every something, let's say quarter. So just while you're here, you end up getting units. So you accumulate like because you're here. Um, so naturally, people that are there longer will have a bigger piece. But also, as there's more people and more people are contributing, you know, that piece is still like sort of relative to something. So right off the bat there, you have something that's like vesting and something about seniority and stuff. It's like that, except the accounting is almost nothing. It's just once a quarter, you just put a one next to your name in, you know, in the spreadsheet and that's it. That's pretty good. <laughs> but everyone knows like, oh, I have this percentage of that. And also... It's an interesting incentive for employees to not to say, like, let's not have to hire that other person. We can do it. We can do the work because like another person dilutes the thing. 
Interesting. It disincentivized people just growing their team uh, at, at uh, breakneck speed. Yeah, it, it disincentivizes extra hiring. They're like, no, 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 we can do it, which is kind of, which is probably a good incentive overall. Um, let's not hire unless we need it. Like, ah, now everyone's aligned with that. Today, without that, they may say, hey, my team really needs another person. And you're like, yeah, but budget. Well, this way, maybe the teams are less, more incentivized to not uh, not ask them unless they really, really need it, and they can really show why it's it's going to be good. What size of company are you describing here that would benefit from this? As oh, small, small, because otherwise it's it's too it's kind of too complicated and and uh, hard like to explain. Ten employees, employees, that kind of that kind of stuff? I would say, yeah, like even thirty is getting to be a lot. But uh, I remember there was a consulting company that did something like this in Austin, and they had something like fifty or sixty people. So. You can do it a little bit. Like at WP Engine, we have a, a 1,200 people and globally. And again, once mm. you go global, there's more law and stuff. Everything gets like, oh, you kind of need to do things right because it gets complicated legally. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're not worried about that, you can do it. Another fun thing is this. So you do what I just said. And also, every quarter, everyone gets a unit that they can give to some, one other person that's not themselves. Mm. So in other words, people can reward others on any basis they want, uh, you could imagine this could be bad. Oh, you give me yours, I'll give you. Okay, so perhaps perhaps this doesn't quite work. I don't know. But the theory is this person really deserves it. This person really blah, blah, blah. And so it ends up being a bonus, but a pure generated bonus. So it's not uh, it's not like manage, it's not uh, favoritism by management or something. But it could be clicks among people. So maybe that's not such a good idea. But playing with some idea like that where Somehow there's a performance-based quote-unquote bonus that happens just in a spreadsheet. That's kind of appealing. Um, so again, probably too complicated and confusing and, and gameable in real life. But uh, it, it goes to a, the, the point, it doesn't have to be options. You could be creative and decide whatever you think is equitable. Whatever you think makes sense, you could do that. P.S. The problem with that is when you sell that money they get is regular income tax, not long-term. So they will pay right. so a lot more taxes treatment. on that in the U.S. Um, and uh, that's the that's the downside. So the good news is you didn't screw with equity and options and 49As. The bad news is uh, employees actually get a lot less money when the event happens because it's regular. Um, yeah. it's regular. And, and we've got listeners in the United States, but we also get listeners all around the world. So yeah. they should check with yes. Uh, yes. their local tax jurisdiction yes. and understand the difference between income earned versus kind of capital gains. Yeah. I mean, we're, 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 we operate in countries where you can't have stock. So we have to do things differently for employees there. to, to So it's can, yeah, it's going to be completely different. I want to switch gears, if you will, Jason, with me and, and talk a little bit sort of at, at 30,000 feet for a moment. So you've sold Smart Bear, and as I understand it, it went on to, to, to sell two subsequent times and is now uh, under a different brand of, of like a billion dollar company. Yeah, well, it's a different owner, but same brand. It's still called different Smart owners, Bear. Different owners, yeah. Which is neat, because that's now a 21-year-old brand. And wow. that's really great. It's like, hey, you know, of course, I don't, I don't get to take credit for any of that journey after 2009 when I left. Um, of course not, but, um, but it's still heartening. Like, Hey, like it's still a good brand. It's still a well, you know, respected brand and, in, in, uh, in, in software for, for software developer quality tools. And, uh, that's nice. It's nice that your crap, you know, lives. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. 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 And, and, and of course, WP engine, uh, uh, you know, Huge business, 1,200 employees, yeah. uh, raised a big round, I think $300 million. The largest round was around $300 million. So it's a, it's a, it's a big, 
unicorn as well. And I guess I'd, I'd just be curious to know how that feels to give birth to two unicorns. I think there must be a very small proportion of the planet <laughs> that could say that they are the founders of two unicorns. Um, I think it's really great for things like Twitter, right? The Twitter bio, that's pretty good. Or, um, I don't know, like if you're a speaker on at a conference, like that, that byline might get you a better speaking spot. Like, so that you're not, you're not showing up on Sunday morning at 8am for your talk, <laughs> <laughs> you and the, the few hungover people, or I guess the people that are not hungover, <laughs> um, uh, maybe getting on podcasts. It's a good, it's good, you know, so it's definitely good for the ego and all that. I think, um, I think though, exactly what I, uh, what I was just saying, I, I feel like, yeah, yeah, I definitely am the founder of two unicorns and I should, and I do take pride in that. I think it means that I probably have good taste in product. I think it means I have good intuition about some things about business models and what's good. I'm not a good designer, by the way. So I really do mean like product and the customer and not design. Um, that doesn't mean I'm right all the time, but just like maybe directionally, I have some good sense about that. Um, but, um, but the reason both are unicorns is not that the reason is having gotten it going and having it been a good idea in a good market, comma, great teams that evolved quite a bit over time, did many, many things and that collectively it's there. And in WP Engine in particular, um, four, uh, three and a half, four years in, um, hired a CEO, replaced myself as CEO. I became CTO, tech, technology. And um, she and Heather Bruner, who we hired, is still here 10 years later at the helm. I can tell you with no reservations that the reason why we're at Unicorn today is because Heather Bruner is the CEO. Like I would, I would not have been nearly as good of a CEO, not, not, not in under many, in, in many dimensions. So the fact that I was able to stay in my areas of competence and, and, and keep, and uh, what the company needed and what I like more or less, um, and also other people and other, you know, other executives and other teams and individual people and so forth. That's why, because we have great people in the positions and that's what it takes. It's not a one-person effort to have a 1,200-person company, right? So um, I'm not just saying that to be to, for humility. Hopefully it's clear in this um, conversation that I, I think I have humility where I ought to. Like the idea that WP Engine's success is due to me is just wrong. <laughs> it's just actually incorrect. I can take credit for it. But like I started, it was my idea. It was a great market choice. It was a great product thing. I did all the customer reviews. I didn't hire my first person for over a year. So, so I take hundred percent of the credit for that. And I'm not, I don't have any humility about that. I did that and it worked. So there it is. So, but the reason why I, I just go on and on about how it's not me right now is because it isn't, <laughs> it would be, that's not because I have humility. It's because it's not true, you know? And, and so, genuine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I've, I've used this analogy before in talking about entrepreneurship and I've, I've encouraged entrepreneurs uh, instead of thinking of themselves uh, as the founder chasing the next revenue hurdle, I, I, I've encouraged them to think of themselves as parents. And the ultimate job of a founder is to give birth to a company that can basically become independent. No, no parent wants to have their 40-year-old in the basement of their house still dependent on them, right? They, they want their kid to thrive and go off into the world and do great things. And I've said in the same vein, you know, founders should think of their role as 
you know, you've got to give birth to this thing and ultimately have it live on after you're gone. And so I've used that analogy before, and I'd, I'd imagine it's appropriate in your case because both of these two companies that you've started are, are, are now uh, thriving in their own right. And I've also noticed that sometimes parents, in the beginning of their watching their children uh, become successful, they're enormously proud. And, and you know, oh, Janie's got a new job and she's now this or that, or Johnny's got this new job and now he's doing this or that. But there, there can be a time, maybe when that parent ages a little bit, when they're not getting the same accolades as they used to, that the parent sometimes flips and becomes a little resentment or resentful of, of the child's success. And they kind of want a little bit of kudos too. And, and they're rocking in their chair and with nobody's paying any attention to them. And they're like, well, hold on a second. You know, I'm a big part of why they're being so successful. And, and, and it can create this sort of resentment I've seen in, in, in some parents. And I just wonder for you, obviously you're incredibly proud of these businesses. Is, do you ever sort of dance with this idea of, ah, you know, like, but if it wasn't for me, do you have that sense of? No. Uh, and and the reason is like I, the analogy, I understand the analogy. There's certain ways in which it's right. Um, in fact, I'll even make a stronger case because I would like to argue it's the wrong analogy. But first, I'll make a I'll make a stronger case that it's the right analogy. Okay. Um, there's a there's a study where they were doing MRIs of people's brains as they're watching the brains, and so they show the person a uh, just like boring stuff like landscapes. So the brain's sitting there in a, in a neutral state. Then they show pictures of their kids. So the brain goes into this excited mode, wow. and it's in certain places, right? It was like the kid configuration, right? Oh, yeah. my kid. Then they show landscapes, goes back to the neutral. Then they show the logo of their startup. And the brain goes back to the kid formation specifically. So when we say that the company is your child or like your child, like physically in your brain, it is like your child. Mm -hmm. This is part of why I think why people, their identity gets locked up in it. I do too. And, uh, um, and selling is like, is like, like, if it really is like selling your child, then what the hell does that mean? Because you don't do that like ever under any circumstance, but this is so, so having made the case for you, I, I think I've also just made the case that it's wrong because you couldn't ever sell your child. It's never the right thing. And yet it is the right thing to sell a business sometimes. And you can debate when, but the answer isn't never, ever. Or when you start a company and, it's, and, it, and, and maybe it was never going well, maybe it went well and now it's not, and it's time to shut it down or sell it. That's not an analogy that works with a child, but it's something you should do. In fact, a lot of times, especially like in, uh, um, let's say, indie hacker land on Twitter, people just sit there and beat some company to death. And they're on Twitter bragging about how they have $1,600 in MRR after three years. They, sh they clearly need to stop or do something radically different. And they're happy. Well, that's what you should do with a kid. With a child, that's what you should do. With a startup, you should not. So it's not the right, you know, so it's, there's overlap, but it's not quite right. I think sort of like mm -hmm. when people say, you know, our, our team is a family, it's not a family because you fire people who are not right for the company and you don't fire your family. It's not quite right. Um, there is such a thing as a team where you care about each other and you want each other to thrive and et cetera, and you, and you have fun together. But of course, a good team in, of any kind is like that. 
But just like a good sports team, a good kind is everyone's super joined up. But also, if you can't perform on the field, like ultimately you're not on the team. You might be benched a little and not immediately kicked off because maybe we want to spend time with you. Yeah, that's fine. But ultimately, if you ride the bench over and over again, you're, you have to go and because we need someone in that position on the field. So that, you know, it's not it's not a family, even if it could be. But it doesn't have to be a horrible, terrible team either. <laughs> like there's such a thing as a healthy team. It's just not family's the wrong word. So child might be the wrong word, too. It might be. Yeah. So um, I think that's actually a good way to, to break some of the feelings and help some of the discussion around should I sell or not? What's going on when you realize, am I treating it like my child too much? where I'm resentful and blah, 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 uh, and I don't want to do it. And it's my identity. And, and, be, and it's not that actually, but I understand why you think that because your brain is doing that on purpose is your brain is doing it to you. So of course you think that, so you shouldn't feel bad about that. You can't help it. Your biology is making you do that. Ooh. Okay. Interesting. Knowing that though, you can say, all right, so intellectually I'll have to break out of that knowing that emotionally my brain's doing this to me. I'll have to be more intellectual about it. That's really handy to know. That's, that's, it's helpful to realize. Anyway, so your question though was you get resentful. The answer is no, because about kids, but the answer is for me is no. But another thing you can do with companies that you can't, well, you can, but it's like gauche to do with kids is I brag on Twitter that I did that. You could brag, like, you know, Beyonce's mom should probably brag on Twitter that she's Beyonce's mom. I don't think anyone begrudge her that. So maybe that is the same. I don't know. But even if she bragged, everyone would be like, oh, that's great. But then would you follow her? No. But that's not true of founders of companies. Like, oh, you you made this company years ago. Is that a reason to follow you? Yes. Like, as long as you're still spouting useful things, the fact that you have that experience is a reason to engage in some way. So unlike a parent, um, you get to take that credit of being the founder of that forever. And you can use that forever and you should, and people expect it and it's not bad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you did that. You had that accomplishment and you really did. Um, and so why would I be resentful of smart bears continued success when it's success means I get to put on my Twitter byline. Oh, I found her two unicorns. Isn't that a gift back to me that I wasn't even there when someone, when a whole nother team brought it from a great place that I had. So again, I'll take credit for that part, but from there on, that was another team doing that. And now I get to put that on my Twitter bio and you say, wow, you're amazing. That, that's a gift to me. So what, am I resentful of that? What? <laughs> For what? For a gift? Now, I understand what you're saying. I'm just giving the other side to it of why I don't feel that way and maybe intellectually why you might decide to try to not feel that way. You know, I realize it's not that easy, but you know, that's all I can say, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a great uh, rebuttal and, and, I, and I like the way uh, you're framing it for sure. You know, one of the things that strikes me about your bio is, I mean, you are an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Like if I look through your bio, there were other companies before Smart Bear. You've been a an investor in a you know a capital factory and and, and a, a mentor for a lot of young entrepreneurs and, and invested in a lot of companies. And I mean, you know, the, the resume is very deep. It strikes me as well as somewhat interesting that you've lasted at WP Engine as the CTO. And, and again, you mentioned Heather and she's been there 10 years or whatever it is, which is fantastic. But there aren't many entrepreneurs I know that, that could do it. Mm -hmm. What's the secret of 
staying with your company mm -hmm. after you've sold it or a portion of it in a secondary, as you described, mm -hmm. without going nuts. Yeah, I can tell you exactly because because the framework I use is one that I that I, I made. Now I say that um, there, there's many similar ones. You won't you won't you won't think any of this is brand new information completely. But this particular formulation of it I made in order to make the decision to hire Heather in the first place, because of course this is a huge, like, but you give it up your CEO and I, the ego that goes with that and the power and control and, and, uh, um, and what if she messes everything up? And, right. Like, and this is all very rational. Like there's nothing wrong with that, any of those thoughts. Um, so I had to figure out like, how do I think about the work that I do and what the company needs and all that? What, what do I do? Cause emotionally it's just hard and it's just maybe even impossible emotionally only to make that kind of decision. And so intellectually, how can I do it? So I made this framework, which I've since talked about and wrote up. So I'll tell you here too. So no one has to do anything. I'll tell you right now, but if you want to see this and also some of the prior art and some of the other details that is on the, on, on my blog, which is long form at, well, it's just asmartbear.com, And then you can look at, it's called fulfillment. If you look for that, then you'll see it. All right. So here's it, here it is. So you don't have to go look it up. Um, so there's, there's a, there's this th three circle Venn diagram. And I know Venn diagrams are super boring and I don't, you don't need another Venn diagram in your life. And guess what? The center of the Venn diagram is the best part. What a shocker. I think someday I'm going to make a Venn diagram where it's not like some sliver on the right is you the good part. The you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Okay. It's one of these, so, but bear with me. So the point yeah. of this though, is there are these three things. And if you have two of the three, it's a trap because you feel good. You feel like it's good and it's bad actually. That's why this particular thing is in fact got some insight to it. And so I'll explain because I made this because I felt these problems in it myself. And so, okay. So one circle is joy, what you love doing. Easy to know what this is. I mean, sometimes it's hard to write down, but easy because like you just do it automatically when you're procrastinating, this is what you do. For like technical founders, it's usually you should be making sales calls or working on marketing, but you go write features because that's what you like or fix a bug because you can. So that's a classic example of joy. Skill is what you're good at. So joy and skill. Second one, that obviously should be pretty clear. And the third one is what does the company need done? So I call that need. What does the company need to have done right now? What does the company require? So joy, skill and need. So the idea is, of course, you should be doing stuff that's all three because of obviously, but, but he, so that, that part's obvious part, the, the part that's not obvious is these traps. So like, let's say you, you you're in an area where it's joy and skill, which is common actually, because often you like the things you're good at, but the company doesn't need it done. This is so classic. Like you're smiling right now because you're like, oh yeah, I totally. So this is the classic, like the great developer who is great and they're just working on the code. And meanwhile, there's not enough sales. The company needs more sales, not another feature that doesn't lead to more sales. Classic uh, problem. And you get into flow. That's the flow state, skill and joy. So you also feel good. You feel like this is very effective and productive. And in a sense, it is productive. But it's it's sort of like one of those things where you're running very fast, but in the wrong direction. So the running very fast part is productivity. But the in the wrong direction part means it's actually unproductive. Mm -hmm. And, but you don't see that and you're a founder, so no one can tell you that. And so you just keep running in the wrong direction. So that's a clear one. Another one, which I ran into, well, we've all run into that one. I mean, come on. <laughs> Another one, which I was, I ran into at Smart Bear is when it's skill and the company needs it, but you don't love it. 
You're good at it and the company needs it done. So of course that feels good. I'm good at accounting and the company needs good accounting. Duh. So this is fine. Or the company does need sales. I'm actually pretty good at it. So I'm doing it. This happened to Smart Bear. That's exactly what happened. I tried to hire salespeople, but it didn't work out, which is my fault, of course. Nevertheless, here we are. <laughs> and so I have to be on the phone all the time or on the, in, on the road all the time. And I don't like that. So I resent it. But I am good at it. I make the sale. We, we closed 50% of our demos. So I'm good at it. And, uh, and of course, the company needs sales. Like, duh. But I'm burned out. So that feels good. It's not good. And sometimes, sometimes we, any kind of like hard charging people, not just founders, a lot of times we're like, it doesn't matter if I like it. It doesn't matter if I'm having fun. I'm not going to have fun every day. I want to be successful and productive and, you know, and so you, you're, you're right. You're not going to love everything so that there is a place for that attitude. Right. But, um, but ultimately if you're sitting there all the time, like it's no good. And also, why did you make this company? So you hate every day? Like that doesn't make sense actually. Uh, so on a, on a short time scale, that's fine. On a long time scale, it's very bad. And what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? And then the last one is you love it and the company needs it done, but you're not good at it. And this also happens more than you want to admit, because as a founder, you think you're the best at everything, smart and everything, et cetera. And just saying that just proves that you're not good at it. <laughs> it proves you don't know what good looks like, which makes it all the more reason why you, you, you're a problem and you're in the way of what needs to be done. So like a classic example would be like, oh, we need to do, uh, we should do affiliates. Like affiliate sales seems like a good idea. I'm going to try it. What? That's a whole expertise. You're going to try it. So you probably fail. And then what? You're going to conclude affiliates don't work. Now, what's fun is we have competitors at WP Engine where that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and what's even funnier is they would say publicly, WP Engine and other companies like them are dumb because they use affiliates and affiliates don't work. I know because we tried it and it does not work. Like, yeah, but you're bad at it. It works really well for us. You just, all you're doing is actually saying I'm bad at it and don't know it. <laughs> Great. Well, then that's not a growth channel for you, I guess. So classic, classic thing. So that's why I think the three rings are actually useful because these traps are real and it helps you ID them. That's actually kind of helpful. And how does this relate back to Heather right. and the fact that you've been able to stay. So just a simple application. Cool. All right. We're at uh, 60, 70 people. Am I, uh, so the CEO, what does the company need now from the CEO? Well, we need to go from 60 to 500 people um, over the next few years because we're still growing really fast. And there's all kinds of things that it means to be the CEO in that environment. It means running the board. It means hiring and managing an executive team, the kinds of which we don't have. So like going and hiring and managing the type of people that are not here yet in order to then build out a global sales organization, a real marketing department, um, and so on and so forth. Support is starting to really scale, uh, like getting starting to hit scale things that has to be addressed. Um, we're going to need real finance and HR and stuff at some point here. Um, and, uh, and there's just a lot more people and what it means to like rally everyone and the processes and meetings and stuff that are necessary to, to manage all of this stuff. And so, um, so just taking that out, is this the kind of, those kind of bullet points of what the JD is, is that something that is in the middle of that? Do I, do I want to do that? Does it sound fun? Am I good at it? Does the company, well, we, we define this as what the company needs. So you're going to the other two now. And yeah, some of them sound fun and some really don't. And mm -hmm. some of them I think I would be good at and some of it really not. Now, I think if you're not good at it and you recognize that, but it sounds really fun to become good at it 
and you're going to somehow get help. That could be really healthy. So, I mean, there's paths here. But in my, in my case, it was like, well, there's enough of those things where I'm not good at it. I don't love it. I don't even want to try to get good at it. Okay, well, then step aside because right, the company needs it done. Like we need someone where for them, it's just the opposite. For them, they're like, oh, goody, this I'm built for this. I was made to do this, you know, and I love every day of this. It's the best day ever because I'm doing it. And also they're world-class at it. Of course, that's the person you want in that position. In every position, mm -hmm. not just the executive position. In every single position, you want someone where they love it, they're good at it, the company. Every single position. Of course, that's an ideal at any given moment, who knows. But as an ideal and asking how is it going for anybody in any position, where are they in this? Are they generally okay? Or is there a big lump, a big mismatch here? That's a good question to try to analyze, like, how's it going? So by a direct application of, well, starting from what the company needs and then asking now um for whom is this in their center and does it and so i continue not only did i show that to the whole company to explain the change because i was worried people were going to say oh heather's taking over uh jason's probably on the way out you know this is one foot out the door of course that was 10 years ago so clearly not true but you know it, that's a very get rid of this guy I think. or maybe i was forced to do it I mean, who knows like who knows what people think so i was yeah. really trying to lay bare the uh, what I did and why so that people would see that it's genuine and see that. And I suggested that other people use this framework to think about their own career, which they then some did. So it became kind of a thing that we, various people at WP Engine have, have used over the years. And I've continued to. So I was a CTO. And then at some point I, t I, I had only product. At some point I had an even smaller remit. At one point it was needed to come back and run all of R&D. But since I knew I didn't want to do that, at that time there was 250 people just in R&D. And I knew I didn't want to do that forever. So I knew that was temporary. So we knew that we were hiring someone like that was all known because I already had the framework. So I continue to, so the answer is I continue to use it from that day forward to continue to ask periodically, Hey, is this right? What's going on here? And if it's not all right, is there, is there a way forward that gets me back in there or not? It's possible that the, the empty set or the set is small enough that it's not a good idea. The things I'm good at, maybe the company doesn't need it that way or blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, we need more specialists in that area than, than me or whatever it is. So it is true that a founder has a special, a special presence and a special impact that maybe doesn't fit that framework. Um, you could say the company needs it, but I think it's better just to say it's outside of that framework. It just doesn't fit. I was told this, um, and it's always stuck with me and I've used it since then, but uh, I was told this early at WP Engine, we had a... Uh, maybe three years in, we had a VP of sales that came out of Rackspace, which is a company out of San Antonio that he was employee 16. They ended up being billion dollars a company, but this is back in the day when that was like really, really hard. They went public and all this. Um, he, he saw a lot and he saw uh, uh, what happened when the founders eventually left. He said, it just changes things. Like it's hard to put your finger on exactly what. It's just different. And he says that the best, the thing that everyone really missed was the founders would just walk around and talk to people about stuff. Not no agenda, not no slides, you know, just like they would just visit a team meeting or they just do it or just and um, just talking to somebody as a founder is different from anyone else and always will be. You have a special thingy. And so when you think about your job description as a founder, that's part of it, even though it's ineffable, there's no metrics. How much time should you devote to that? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, like it's not it's, it's hard to pin down but it's real. And when it's not there, it's a big deal. 
And so, um, so maybe there's an extra star of that that's outside of that. You could say the company needs it or something like that, but I, I think it's better to say that's a little magical thingy that, that, so it's possible that you could be not in the center and not have any real responsibility and just float around. I just feel like that's not a good, healthy place to be. And so that's not, that's not good enough. Um, but it is a consideration. Well said. Joy, skill, and need. Jason, this was awesome. I've got pages of notes. And I'm just thrilled that uh, we were able to spend so much time. If people want to reach out, um, asmartbear.com is where they can find your writing. Um, is there anywhere else on social media they might find you? What's the best place to connect if they wanted to say hi? Yeah, all the links are there, but asmartbear on Twitter, and I'm on the Mastodon and the threads, but I Nothing much is happening there at the moment, but there I am. And there's links on that website to those. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks for doing this. Thanks. It was fun. And there you have it for today's episode between Jason and John. If you enjoyed today's podcast as much as I did, be sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you want to help support this podcast, I'd encourage you to share this out with a friend or colleague. Now, as a reminder, if you want to watch the full video interview between Jason and John, then be sure to visit our YouTube channel, which is at Built to Sell Radio, where there you'll be able to watch the full video version of today's episode. Also, a reminder, if you know of someone who would be a great fit to be a guest right here on the show, just like Jason, maybe you have someone in mind who'd be a great fit to be a guest for Legends of the Deal, I'd encourage you to nominate them. You can head over to builttosell.com slash nominate, where there you'll have the chance to nominate yourself or someone else to be a guest right here on the show with John. Again, for show notes and links to everything referenced in today's episode, including the blog post that John mentioned, be sure to visit Jason's episode page over at builttosell.com. Special thanks to Dennis Labatagula for handling today's audio engineering. And thank you to our community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. Our advisors are experts in helping you build the value of your company. To get in touch with an advisor or learn how to become one yourself, head over to valuebuilder.com. I'm Colin Morgan, and I look forward to talking to you again next week.